Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word to us. We ask that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit and that you'd speak to our hearts, that we might know you better and love you more. Amen. It's been really interesting sticking with Jeremiah over the last, well, it's been over a month now, I mean, that's sort of five, six weeks. I mean, it's, it, it's a reasonably long book, but we don't tend to spend a long time with Jeremiah because have you ever had a friend who's very rarely happy and you kind of think, I could go see them, but actually I know that they'd want to tell me about X, Y and Z that, that, that they're struggling with. Maybe I'll go another day. I find that with Jeremiah. Anytime you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah's great. I, lo- I was called to be a vicar through Jeremiah chapter 1. But he's such an Eeyore. He's just, nothing good happens for Jeremiah. And actually, in fairness, if you look at his circumstances, there isn't a lot good happens for Jeremiah. He's asked, he's, well, no, he is appointed as God's spokesperson at a time when Israel has gone so far away from their covenant with God. And so all his words are negative. All his words are of coming destruction. And so God says, tell them, destruction's coming. And he tells them. And so they, they laugh at Jeremiah. They say, oh, you never have anything good to say, do you, Jeremiah? It's always doom and gloom. <sighs> never mind. Fine, we've heard you. Now go back. And we hear halfway through that actually there are hundreds of other prophets who are all prophesying good things. God is happy. God is good. Everything's going to be fine. And Jeremiah is the odd one out going, no, 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 God God really has told me that destruction is coming because you've abandoned him. You've abandoned his commands. You need to turn or it's all going to go horribly, horribly wrong. And then he gets to watch it going horribly, horribly wrong as the Babylonians come and lay siege to the whole city. Uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago, God gave him that word, said, go and buy a field. Your cousin's going to come and say, it's best to keep it in the family. You've got, the fir- you've got first refusal on this field I'm selling. Do you want it? He knows they're about to get taken over by another power. And God goes, no, buy it. And then put the deeds in a, in a clay jar so they'll last for a long time. Because at some point, people will be able to buy and sell property here again. So that's a sign to everyone that this isn't forever. As the Jeremiah buys a field that he's never going to be able to use because the Babylonians are coming to take everything over and destroy everything. And he does it anyway because he's faithful. And so here, we just have God's promises that Jeremiah never sees but that the people of God have held on to saying this is God's promise to us the day is coming says the Lord when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah a new promise a new deal a new agreement it says um, the people will no longer quote this proverb the parents have eaten sour grapes but the children's mouths puck at the taste because of what the parents have done the children are going to suffer actually there's a fresh start and if someone chooses bad things, then they will have the consequences of that. It's no longer going to be the situation where destruction is coming 
not for what the children have done, even though they're suffering from that, but from what their parents, their grandparents have done. Scrap that. Fresh start. Clean slate. I will look after you. You will come back. You'll have relationships. You'll have families. You'll buy fields. You'll grow crops. It will be back to how it was always intended to be. Now the struggle is that you look at your Bible, count the pages between Jeremiah and Luke. It's not an exact science in terms of it's that many years, but in fact it's more years. There was 400 years. They were, they were brought back from exile, absolutely. Near the story of Nehemiah and Ezra, they come back, God rebuilds the city with money from the king of Babylon. A new king, admittedly, but you know, they're given cash to make it happen. And the walls are rebuilt, it's fantastic. Then the Persians come and take them over and go, right, well, you're not receiving, you're not, you're not going to worship your God anymore, you worship our gods. And now, in the Catholic Bible, which has books that, uh, you know, we've got lots of books in the Bible. Well, in the 4th and 5th centuries, there was a big discussion about which books we all used. Because in Africa, they used certain books. In Europe, they used other books. In Asia, most of the same books, but some different books. As they had a big meeting, they went, right, which books are we all going to use? As they settled on a, a group of books. And then you got to the 15th century and the Reformation, and Martin Luther went, these books, they're all too Catholic. I don't like them. And so some books were just taken out and put to one side. Now, these are books of history. Um, if you'd like me to show you uh, what, what's called the Apocrypha, then I'll, I've got them over at the vicarage. It's mostly Jewish history. It's accounts of what happened uh, between uh, the time of, of Jeremiah, time of exile, and when Jesus came again. And so you've got the accounts of the family called the, the Maccabees, who fought against the Persian oppressors and tried to defend Israel from being forced to bow down to other gods. But the truth is, in all these stories, and all these histories, God's fairly silent. The Jews stand up for themselves and they fight for what they know to be right. They will not worship any other gods. But it's not what Jeremiah's promised. The Babylonians are gone, they're back home, but now they're dealing with the Persians. The Persians go and in come the Romans. That's not what they were promised. That's not what it was meant to be like. They're still paying taxes to someone else. The difference with the Romans is the Romans would say, well, do you know what? how you want to worship? That's fine by us. As long as you pay your taxes on time and you don't cause any trouble, that's fine. Whereas the Persians tried to convert them and everyone um, rose up. Caesar was a little bit more cunning. I said, actually, if I leave life pretty much as it should be, or as it was in each country they're less likely to fight back. If it's a choice between paying a bit of tax and having a fight with my legions, people will probably just pay the tax. If it's changing your whole worship, people are more likely to fight. So he didn't pick that fight. Everywhere he went, he went, worship who you like. As long as you acknowledge Caesar was Lord, pay your taxes, everything's fine. And so we know that for the Jewish people, this niggled. They're since they weren't in control of their own destiny. And we know a number of people rose up and they fought against the Romans. There were a number of rebellions that were very viciously put down. It's where crucifixion started, was the Romans wanted something that would really show people not to mess with them. 
What's really painful, really public and humiliating, and lasts a long time so that everyone can see what happens to people who stand up against Rome. Oh yeah, crucifixion works. Yeah, let's, let's have that. And so for the Jewish people, even though the Romans were better than the Persians, they are still under someone else's control. They're not being ruled by a godly king who listens to God, who rules with justice and says, this is what we do. Who's not victorious. No, they have no king who's victorious in battle. Herod was in fear for his role the whole time. Didn't want to upset the Romans at all. Uh, when we talked about, looked at Acts, um, was that last year? And you saw Paul at the end being pushed from pillar to post because no one wants to make a decision about him in case they upset the Romans. That is not what Jeremiah is promising. That you get your own place. You get a relationship with God direct, with no one else interfering, no one bossing you around, just God saying, you are my people, I will look after you. Instead, Jesus comes in and says, let me tell you a story to show you that you should always pray and never give up. And we have this story of the, uh, the judge who neither fears God nor cares about people and is quite open. He says, I don't fear God, I don't care about people. And this woman has a case. Someone is, has done something unfair to her. She is losing out because of someone else's actions. And so she's going to the judge saying, hear my case. If you just look at it, it's obvious that this person's in the wrong and I need to, I need to have what is, what's rightfully mine. But I'm a widow, I'm a woman, I, I can't make him move. I need you, the judge, to make it happen. And the judge goes, ugh, go away. And so she comes back and says, I need you to hear my case. And the judge goes, ugh, come on, I'm playing golf. The next day, I need you to hear my case until ultimately you get this, this judge saying I love it in the New Living Translation the, the, our, our pew Bibles I don't fear God or care about people but this woman is driving me crazy I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests now that's in the light of 400 years of the Jewish people praying and waiting. When we meet Simeon uh, and Anna at the beginning of Luke, they are people who have been waiting for the kingdom of God. They're waiting for Messiah to come. And they are old. And they're aware they're waiting for the delivery of promises that were made hundreds of years before they were born. And they've lived their whole lives waiting for this and praying, God, let your kingdom come. Send your Messiah. Send the one who will rescue us from these Romans, from all these people trying to tell us what to do, trying to oppress us and make it harder for us to follow you as your people. And Jesus says, keep on praying. If an unjust judge will give justice just to shut someone up, how much more would your heavenly father who is completely just and loves you how much more will he listen how much more will he act on your behalf 
And so I look at this and say, we don't hear anyone coming back to Jesus on this. But you'd have thought people would come and say, well, in fact, they did say, are you going to restore Israel now? Are you going to give it to the Romans now? And Jesus had to keep saying, it's about my father's kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. It's not about, you know, with the, the taxes, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give God what belongs to God. Always people are saying to him, is it now? We've been waiting, we've been waiting, we've been waiting. And Jesus doesn't tell them to stop waiting. He tells them it's near. He tells them to keep praying. But he won't tell them, it's fine, it's me. Up arms and at them. And that's why we see some people get disappointed with Jesus because he says, take up your cross. He says, if you follow me, you'll be persecuted. So you have a situation where people are praying faithfully. God, would you do what you promised? And all they've got is this carpenter who says things they don't quite understand and nothing seems to be changing. And so for us, we live in the time when God has come. Jesus died, he's been raised from the dead. We know that he's alive. I'd like to think most of us have had some kind of experience where we know that God is real. We know that there's a, there's a relationship between us and God in terms of how we feel when we pray, in terms of things he might have said to us, things that were spoken about in the Bible. But actually we know that what's described in Revelation of a new heaven and a new earth, of God being with us, him being, Jesus is our light. And actually there's no death, no tears. No, That's far more what Jeremiah is describing. Because actually we look at our lives and we go, actually, but the, God, we, look at Aleppo. Look still at Afghanistan, Iraq and Libya and all the other countries we've mucked around with and it, it's not gotten put back together yet look at our lives look at look at this that still hurts look at this situation that i'm in which still hurts me and i have prayed i've asked you to do something about it and you haven't yet now we know that some things from our experience god says my grace is sufficient for you Everything will be healed in heaven. Everything will be well in heaven. We live in the now and the not yet. The now we receive God. Uh, we receive something of his kingdom. But we don't yet receive everything. We don't yet live in that place where every tear is wiped away from every eye. Where there is no death, where there is no suffering, where there is no sickness. And so what do we do? As we look at situations as Jeremiah did and kind of go... God, where are you? Would you come? And as all the Jews since then, to Jesus' time, were saying, God, would you come? Jesus' answer is to not give up and to always pray. And when I read that, Jesus told the a story to show they should always pray and never give up. It just made me think of 1 Thessalonians 5, the verse God gave us 
two years ago, rejoice always, pray continuously, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This isn't a new thing for us at St James. God has been saying this, saying this to us for a while. Pray continuously. And so the question this morning, um, because the, the difficult stuff and the suffering is frankly taken as a given. We've all got things that, isn't, that aren't sorted, where we want God to act. The question is, how do we pray continuously? Now, I'll be open with you. I met with a bunch of vicars last week. I was away on this training course. And we got asked this question. And there were an awful lot of vicars, Salvation Army captains, Pentecostal ministers, kind of looking a little bit, yeah, not as much as we should do. Because it's hard. Actually, prayer means stopping what's in front of you and engaging with what you can't see. Engaging with your Heavenly Father, talking to Him, and not dealing with work, not dealing with uh, the stuff you need to do for life, the laundry, the cooking, the cleaning. And it means not dealing with the other stuff that's just always there, like Facebook or Strictly Come Dancing and Bake Off in our house. Um, or the soaps, or whatever it is. Those things that are in front of us, you kind of go, I'm just going to have a look at this. It is hard to stop what we're doing and pray. Now, we've tried different things at St James. In Lent, we have our bookmark. And so at nine o'clock and six o'clock, we will pray this prayer. If you want to pray it, join with us, and we'll all do it together. We've talked about the Jesus Prayer which is a a tradition out of the Orthodox Church, where they would pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, Saviour, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, Saviour, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, Saviour, have mercy on me. And they would keep praying and keep praying. And they'd get on and do the laundry, or the washing up, or the cooking, or whatever else. What's under their breath? Say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, Saviour, have mercy on me. And that's something that I know for some people at St James has been helpful. Because it's just, the words are good. What does it mean for God to have mercy on me? Well, actually, on a different day, it means completely different things. But I want God to have mercy on me. So I can pray that prayer and just trust God to answer it how he sees best but the difference is as we pray continuously we get changed because we talk to God about things actually it's quite hard to ignore God's opinion about things it becomes easier to see them see things the way that God sees them and also for me easier to see the ways in which I don't respond to things the way that God would respond to them So I might pray, God, fix this situation. And actually God's response would be, can I fix you first, Steve? Can we talk about why that upsets you so much? Why why are you so bothered that people do it your way? Or why are you so bothered that people acknowledge that you've done something? I love you just the way you are. Relax. Relax. And actually the things that we pray for 
in the light of that change. Prayer makes things happen. But actually prayer is also about putting ourselves into the presence of God so that he can change us. Now, I know some of you listen to Premier Radio. Again, that's a really good way of just putting yourself in God's presence. That you sit and you listen and you let the words pass over you of these great hymns and worship songs people have prayed over, they've drawn from the Bible for. And you just kind of go, God, I'm in your presence. Would you help me? And you trust that he leads you in the situations that you're in. Now there are unjust situations we find ourselves in and it's right for us to nag the council, the company, whoever, whoever it is. But actually this is about us and God. And Jesus is saying God is not an unjust judge. God is a loving, heavenly Father who adores you. So pray. Keep on praying. Even if you're not getting an answer, keep on praying. Because as you put yourself into that place, God is allowed to talk to you. He can drop thoughts into your mind. He can direct your thinking. He can change the way, how, change the way you feel. So something that's uptight and stressful and makes you so angry, you can think, actually, I can't be angry and pray. But stop. Now, there are days when I find it really hard to pray. I'm just cross, I'm just tired and stressed. There are things that we've been given. The Lord's Prayer that we do every week here is the way Jesus told us to pray. It's one of two prayers he said, when you pray, pray like this. And so actually pray the Lord's Prayer. And if that's all you pray, that's fine, you've prayed. Someone said to me before, if you have a meal, did you eat yesterday? I said, yes. I said, do you remember what you eat? What you ate, sorry. And I was like, uh, no. It's like, right. Has it still done your body some good? Yes. Excellent. Off you go. And I think that we eat because we need to eat. And actually we pray because we need to pray. And we need that relationship. We need that link with our Heavenly Father. We need something that takes us out of our day-to-day detail and helps us to see things the way that he sees them. It is hard to pray. There are different ways of praying for different people, different personalities. Uh, and I would love, I'd love to keep on going here, and I won't. But I'd love to chat to you about it. If you want to talk to someone about how you pray, we've got people here who have different styles of praying. They would share with you. We learn from each other. That's one of the reasons we have small groups. But I'd love to chat to you about how you pray. What's good, what's difficult. Just to encourage you, as Jesus' disciples, always pray. Never give up. Because as we do that, we are formed more and more into the likeness of Christ. And we can respond to things the way that he would respond. Let's pray and ask for his help as we do that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, you know having been amongst the Jewish people on earth 2,000 years ago, their frustration at not seeing their prayers answered the way they wanted them, at having been praying those prayers, that trusted those promises from Jeremiah and Isaiah for 400 years, 
not having seen them answered. And yet your response is to keep praying, to not give up. So would you fill us again with your Holy Spirit? Would you strengthen us not to give up on the situations that discourage us, but to keep coming to you, to keep praying to you, so that you can show us how you see us, how you see our situations, and you can lead us on. Amen.